So the shepherds are out in the field. They're um, keeping track of these sheep, making sure that they're not stolen um, or um, wander off. Shepherds were not um, looked at in, in high regard. This was a this was a job that was not well thought of. Uh, you know, the things that I read kind of make them sound like the used car salesman of that ancient world. But these sheep were important, particularly because Bethlehem was just a few miles from Jerusalem, and these sheep often were used in the sacrifices that happened at the temple. And these shepherds were watching over these important sheep and important for their livelihoods as well. Uh, Bethlehem, um, the, the shepherds in the field are close enough that they can make it to the manger that night, that same night. The, um, the field that, um, that, that Jason and Rosemary took those pictures of and shared with us um, are just a couple miles from you know, downtown Bethlehem today. So this is not a long trip for them. So they're close enough to go. What we don't know is we don't know how many of shepherds there were. We know there were at least two because it's plural. So it's more than one. We also don't know about their spiritual condition. We don't know if they were worshipers of Jehovah or if they were totally secularized Jewish people. But we do know that there's some regular blue collar guys out doing their job, just trying to get through their shift. You know, this is reminiscent a little bit of another shepherd that watched sheep outside of Bethlehem in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel 16, we're told that David was out in the field watching his father's sheep. He had to be called in in order for Samuel to look at him and anoint him the next king of Israel. So another thing about this field that Jason and Rosemary took the picture of is that not only do people believe that this is the, the traditional field where the shepherds were, but they say that this goes back to David's time as well. This is where David watched those sheep. And it goes further back than that, and as Tyler laid out for us last week, Boaz had fields where Ruth reaped crops, same area, same fields. So there's a lot of history embedded in this, these ancestral fields. These shepherds may have even been descendants of David living in and around Bethlehem. That's a possibility. But what, what we don't know is how many of them there were, what their religious affections were, but we do know that the angels came to them that night to be the first to know that the Messiah was born. It doesn't appear that they have any expectation that this is about to happen to them. Can you imagine, you know, working the graveyard shift and having these angels appear? And as, as Brandon mentioned, the common theme in Scripture when an angel appears is that people are filled with fear. Look at verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. So how does he characterize the message that he's going to bring to them? He says it is good news. And this good news is going to bring great joy, not just to these shepherds, but to everyone. So if he didn't have their attention already by completely lighting up the night sky, I'm sure he has their attention now. Then let's look in verse 11. What is the content of the message? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's a lot of information packed into that sentence. 
First of all, we see that a baby is born. So what he's doing is he's giving a birth announcement. And this is no ordinary baby that would compel these shepherds to leave their flocks and go visit. This is a baby that is a savior, the one who saves. He is the Christ. As John explained for us, that's the anointed one. And he is the Lord, the sovereign, sovereign ruler, the one that's in control. Interestingly, he, he, the angel doesn't apparently tell them the name of the baby. So as they're going to look for this baby, they're not saying like, is, does Jesus live here? Is this where Jesus was born? They're looking for a baby that is in a manger. And that's in the next verse. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. So not some abandoned baby that's just been thrown into a feed trough for animals, but one that has been taken care of and swaddled and is laid in a manger because there was no other room, no other place for them, no room in the inn. So that is the proof of the truth of this message. Look for two things, a baby that is swaddled and is lying in a manger in David's ancestral city of Bethlehem. So what's their reactions? Let's look at verse 15 and 16. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. The angel didn't explicitly say to them, go to Bethlehem. He said, this is what you will find. But of course they went. Why did they go? Because they believed that the message was true and they wanted to see it for themselves. What could have they have done? They could have made excuses. They could have said, well, somebody's got to watch the sheep. We can't go. We have important responsibilities here. They could have said, you know what? I'm really tired. I've been up a long time. I think it's more important that we get our sleep. But they are moved to action by the content of this message because there is a savior that has been announced, the Messiah, the one that the Jewish people have been waiting for for centuries, they want to see this baby, no ordinary baby. This message from the angel has created faith, and faith leaps into action. The second reaction is in verses 17 and 20. Verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They tell anyone who will listen what they have heard and seen. They were completely convinced and they want everyone to know about Jesus. In verse 20, and the shepherds returned, that is returned to the field, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it was told them. Why would they do this? Because it was pretty exciting to be involved in all of this. There was a lot of adrenaline running. No doubt, but even more so because there has been a savior born. They understood the importance of a savior. So what's the impact on these lowly shepherds, these blue collar guys? They are transformed into unrestrained evangelists. They're going around telling anyone who will listen about Jesus. Their actions demonstrate their faith. They are good news tellers. Little baby Jesus is already transforming people, already transforming them by faith. Ordinary shepherds become exuberant evangelists. So who did they tell? This leads us to our next category of folks. They would tell anyone 
who would listen. Look back at verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Who are these all who heard it people? Well, we're not given any more information about it than this, but apparently this would be people in the town of Bethlehem. I'm thinking of people who are probably asleep in their beds. I've always imagined this happening at night. It doesn't actually say that. The angel came at night. Maybe they waited till morning. It doesn't, I don't think so though. It says they came with haste. So the angel came in the middle of the night. They went with haste to Bethlehem. I think this is still in the middle of the night. And so they are going around after seeing the baby, Jesus, and they are glorifying and praising God. And people are coming out of their houses and, they are, and the shepherds are telling them what they have heard and seen. And how do these bystanders react? How would you react? Some of us might be a little irritated that we're losing some sleep, right? Maybe like half asleep, groggy, like wondering what is going on. Maybe people are afraid or fearful. You know, they're hearing this clamor. And they think, you know, is the town being attacked or, the, you know, people breaking into the house next door? We don't know exactly what they're thinking, but we're not given any more information about action that they take as opposed to like the shepherds. We see what they did. They had heard the pronouncement by the, the angel that the Savior was born through the shepherds. They had heard from the shepherds that the Savior was predicted to be found in a manger and swaddled in Bethlehem. They had heard from the shepherds that the angelic choir had praised God. And they had heard from the shepherds that all of this proved to be true. So what is their reaction? The reaction, it says in the text, is they wondered at these things. But it stops there. All of this amazing information and exuberance of the shepherds apparently was not enough to generate any interest to investigate further. These are just casual observers content to hear the headlines. There's no curiosity, no desire to know the truth. The good news of a savior being born makes no apparent difference in their lives. And so while they were bystanders, they are not innocent bystanders. There's never an innocent bystander in, when it comes to spiritual things. They could have been part of the story, but they didn't have the faith to believe that the Savior was born. They endured no inconvenience. They suffered no hardship. They paid no cost. They failed to see themselves as needing a Savior. These startled bystanders wander briefly and then go back to sleep. They go back about their business. If anyone needed more sleep, it was likely Mary. Let me advance one more slide. If anyone needed sleep, this was Mary. She had just traveled 70 miles with Joseph through mountainous terrain. We're not sure how long she was in Bethlehem before she gave birth, but it doesn't appear that it was very long. And then she has this crew of shepherds come in and want to see the baby in the manger maternity ward. Let's look at Mary's reaction here. I'm thinking Mary was tired, but she thinks deeply. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. We all know Mary, the mother of Jesus, an amazing young woman chosen by God to be the mother of the Savior. Back in chapter 1, we won't take the time to, to look at all the verses, but in chapter 1, Gabriel appears to Mary and tells her that she's been chosen by God, and she doesn't understand it. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She doesn't understand how it's all going to work. 
She goes on to say at the end of Gabriel's speech to her, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel left at that point. She didn't understand how it was all going to work, but she reacted in submission to this. She had obedience that was fueled by her faith. What Gabriel did tell her is that she was favored by God and she would conceive a son through the Holy Spirit. She was also told about this son that he would be named Jesus. This is the New Testament version of the Old Testament Joshua. Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is the deliverer, the one who saves. In Matthew 1.21, when Joseph was told by the angel that this this baby boy was coming. He was given a little bit more information. We don't know if it was also given to Mary. But it says, you will call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. If, if Mary wasn't given that information, I am thinking that Joseph probably shared that with her. The angel also tells Mary that this son of God will be son of the Most High. And he will be the promised forever king of the Davidic covenant that was promised way back in the Old Testament. She knew a lot of information. She had a lot of information from this angel. And then she got to hear the shepherds tell all of what had happened to them out in the field. And she's taken it all in. She has a front row seat to watch God's plan unfold. She knew that this baby was special. This baby, Jesus, is the Savior. Her reaction is she treasured and pondered what she had heard from the shepherds. She treasured, that is to preserve, to keep something valuable. You don't want to forgive it, you're, forget it, you're storing it away. Pondering is to bring it all together in your mind and meditate on it. She valued what she heard and she didn't want to ever forget it. This humble young woman submitted to God's will and how her faith was being confirmed. God had a plan, and he was putting it all together. They all needed a savior, and Mary included. So tired Mary now treasures the truth about her, about her baby. He is the savior. After a baby is born to an observant Jewish couple, Leviticus 12 told them what to do, and it involved this system of purification and dedication. It takes 40 days for all of this to happen. At the end of the 40 days, the baby boy is to be brought to the temple, and that's exactly what Mary and Joseph and the baby do. And there they encounter patient Simon. Patient Simon blesses God in the passage that Dave read for us a few minutes ago. I'd like to look at verse 25 in particular. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So we're told a fair amount about Simeon as well. He was righteous and devout, that he, is, he lived right, and he, was, he had dedicated himself to God. And he was waiting. He was waiting expectantly for the consolation of Israel. Consolation is a word that I don't use all the time. I think of it in like a consolation prize. The consolation prize to me seems like second place, but it actually means comfort. So the, the, when somebody gets a consolation prize, they're being comforted because they didn't win. <laughs> 
You might think of somebody that's inconsolable, someone who cannot be comforted. They have so much grief or sorrow. So what is the consolation of Israel? Well, back in Isaiah, Isaiah 40 in particular, God had promised that his people would be comforted. Comfort based on the end of conflict with sin and a pardon for iniquity. The description is of the promised Messiah. So the consolation of Israel means the Messiah of Israel, the one who would deliver them from their sin and end all of the conflict. Israel has been inconsolable. They're sorrowing and hurting. God has not spoken in 400 years at this point. It's very similar to the Hebrews in Egypt in Moses' day, right before Moses, right before the Exodus. And they were asking, what is the name of God? They didn't even remember his name. Where is God? Has he abandoned us? Israel was in need of comfort at this time, just like they were then. And the one who would come is the one to provide it. Simeon knew Old Testament prophecy and he believed it. It doesn't say in the text that he's an elderly man, but we're left to put that together because it says that he's waiting to die, essentially. And the Holy Spirit has told him, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. What a wonderful promise that he received. Notice all the references to being spirit-filled. The Holy Spirit was upon him in verse 25. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would see the Messiah. Verse 27, he came in the Spirit to the temple. So evidently, so we're putting things together here a little bit. This text, text does not say it explicitly. Evidently, the Spirit revealed to Simeon that baby Jesus was this Messiah who he had been waiting for a good part of his life. What's his reaction? Well, his first reaction is that he blessed God. Blessing means to speak well of. He spoke well of God because God kept his promise. Then he expressed satisfaction with seeing God's promise fulfilled. Look at verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word from my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Do you hear the satisfaction in that? I am ready to die because I have seen what you promised that I would see, that a Messiah would come, the savior of the world. And he says this is not just for the Jews. He says this is prepared in the presence of all peoples and it's a light of, for revelation to the Gentiles. To a lot of Jews, Jewish people, that would have been crazy talk. No, the salvation is for us. Messiah is for us. And Simeon is saying, I have seen the Savior of the world. His long wait was over. His life was fulfilled. His faith was made sight. And he blessed God for it. This made an impact on him. Significant impact on him. He had waited his whole life for this moment. Interestingly, while he was waiting... He did not misinterpret God's delay as being unloving. He didn't misinterpret God's delay as being God failing to keep his promises. He didn't despair at God's delay. He embraced it. He was waiting and he kept trusting that God would keep his promises. 
So patient Simeon becomes satisfied Simeon, satisfied at having seen God's promise fulfilled. So we are surmising that Simeon is elderly. Our next character we know is, she's 84 years old, and her name is Anna. And she is devoted to the Lord. And Anna gives thanks in verses 36 through 38. She's described as a prophetess, someone who speaks God's word. She had a known family tree from the tribe of Asher. This is a northern tribe. The northern tribes had been taken to Assyria hundreds of years before. Many of them did not know their tribes anymore, but she did. She was advanced in years. She was a widow for a long time. She'd only been married for seven years. She was a devout worshiper, so devout that she didn't depart from the temple. She worshiped day and night, all the time, continually, with prayer and fasting. We don't know everything she knew. We're not told that. It says in the text in verse 38 that she came up to the temple at that very hour. That very hour seems to me to be tied to the verses preceding, which is when Simeon is talking. So perhaps she hears what Simeon says. She probably knew Simeon, small community around the temple. But she has two distinct reactions. Her first reaction is to give thanks. Messiah has come. Praise God. Thank you, God, for sending a Savior. The second reaction is that she talked about Jesus to the other people who were waiting. It wasn't just Simeon who was waiting for the Messiah. There were others who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, for Israel to be delivered. Not delivered from Roman oppression, but from the oppression of something much more serious, the oppression of sin. The Redeemer has come, the one who would buy them back to God. And the impact The impact on Anna was that she proclaimed God's word, consistent with her character as a prophetess. It wasn't just Simeon who was waiting for the redemption of Israel. Anna was, and others were as well. And they heard all they needed to hear. The Redeemer has come. This little baby, a month and a half old, is the Redeemer. Devoted Anna proclaims Messiah's mission of redemption. Now we need to transition to Matthew chapter 2 for our final two sets of people. So let's turn over there. And this is the account that um, has the wise men in it. Luke does not include the wise men in his narrative regarding the nativity. We see, as you would expect, the wise men who worship Let's read in chapter 2 of Matthew, verses 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, important word, after. So this isn't simultaneous with the birth. This is after that has occurred. In Jerusalem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. So how are they described? They're described as wise. This word is magi. They were specialists in astronomy. They studied the stars. They came from the east. They came to Jerusalem, the capital city. Where else would you look for a king? They traveled a great distance at great expense. 
What did they know? Well, they knew that a king of the Jews was born and they came seeking him. Perhaps this was through Old Testament prophecies. Perhaps they had some Old Testament scriptures that were taken to them or from the Jewish exiles. Perhaps special revelation. Perhaps God spoke to them. We don't know. But what is their reaction in verse 11? Let's take a look at that. Verse 11, very familiar verse. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Just Jesus. That's the only one they worshipped. Then opening their treasures, they, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They fell down before the child. Different word than infant. So we know that Jesus was not just the baby in a manger at this point. He was in a house, not in a stable. They fall down before the child and they worship him. And they offer gifts of treasure fit for a king. These wise men find the king whom they were seeking. But along the way in their story, they encounter the current king, King Herod, and his reaction to the news of the birth of a new king is quite different from the wise men. King Herod is troubled. And scripture says that when Herod is troubled, all of Jerusalem is troubled with him. We know a fair amount about Herod the Great from history. He was a great builder, for example. He rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. But he was a ruthless ruler, even killing some of his own family members because of threats that he felt. The scriptural account here focuses on the latter. He is troubled by the news of the new king. He is apparently ignorant of the prophecy of the Messiah, particularly the location of the birth of Christ, because he sends his, his men out to figure that out, to find out where the, the, the king of the Jews would be born. And he's disingenuous in dealing with the wise men. He says, I'd like to go worship them too. So when you find out where this new king is, you know, let me know and I'll come down and worship him together. What's the revelation? Well, the, the, the men that he put on it find the prophecy in Micah 5.2 that Bethlehem is where the ruler will come from. So his reaction, first he's troubled, second he investigated, third he's threatened. He feels threatened by a baby, and he retaliates terribly. Troubled King Herod retaliates. So we've seen seven groups of people with varied reactions to the birth of Jesus. Most of these reactions are positive, but not all. Why are they different? Is there a common denominator here? Can we put this all together? The common denominator is whether or not someone believed that Jesus is the Savior. Mary believed Gabriel and named her baby Jesus, Jehovah's salvation. The shepherds believed the angel and went to see the Savior who has been born in Bethlehem. Simeon believed that Jesus was the comforter, the consolation of Israel who he had been waiting for. Anna believed that Jesus was the redeemer and proclaimed him as such. The wise men believed Jesus was the new king of the Jews and worshiped him. Each time, faith results in action. In contrast, we see bystanders who apparently didn't believe the report of the shepherds or accepted it at face value but didn't go to investigate. They didn't believe enough to take action. 
We even see religious leaders advising King Herod about where the, the, the king of the Jews would be born, and they don't do anything about it either. These are people who you would think would want to pursue every lead. Herod didn't believe that a new king was born. He took violent action in opposition to ensure, just to make sure. So here's the main point of our message this morning. Our reaction to the birth of Jesus depends on seeing him as he is, the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord. But it also depends on seeing ourselves accurately, seeing ourselves as in need of saving. If you don't need to be saved, then you do not need a Savior. But we all need a Savior because we are all sinners. How do we react in to Jesus. Do we react in faith? Do we see ourselves accurately? So let's just apply each of these different characters. Are we like the shepherds, taken by surprise, but joyfully accepting the good news that a Savior is born? Perhaps we're blue-collar workers who just know we need a Savior because we see ourselves pretty accurately. We're not too proud to admit it. But do we go to the next step? and exuberantly tell others what we know about Jesus? Has believing in Jesus deeply affected you? Are we like the Bethlehem bystanders who just shrug off Jesus, passers-by who see no need to get involved, nothing to see here? Perhaps just putting it off for another day. Today's not a good day. When is a good day? Today is the day of salvation, we're told. Are they failing to see are we failing to see ourselves accurately as sinners in need of a Savior, that we can't save ourselves? Are we like Mary and treasure the truth of the incarnation and meditate on it? I think about many young moms that we have in our assembly who are probably perpetually tired, like Mary was, and need that time to be able to treasure and meditate on the truth of Scripture, particularly the truth about Jesus but they've been chosen of God for a wonderful purpose, raising children. And they need to know the treasure that is Jesus as Savior and share it with those children. Perhaps we're on the other end of the age spectrum, not a young mom, but maybe a little in the more experienced age department. Maybe we're on the back nine of life or the fourth quarter, or maybe even the bottom of the ninth feeling like a lot of identity with Simeon and Anna <laughs> more than Mary personally. Simeon and Anna are in that department. So are we like Simeon who has waited patiently his whole life? Are we waiting patiently and expectantly for the coming of Jesus again? Do we think he'll come back? Or is that just something that's like, that's really elusive? That's really not going to happen. Are we like Anna and thank God and tell people about Jesus, the Redeemer? Or do we think we're too old to have an impact anymore? Oh, that's for the young people. I've done my time. Don't think you're irrelevant. The congregation, the body of Christ needs every member, the young and the old and all in between. We are all part of the body of Christ and we are all relevant and we can all have an impact. And the key is believing that Jesus is the Savior and he makes a difference. 
Are we like the wise men who worship at great personal cost? They worshiped because they believed. They traveled hundreds of miles, taking a lot of time and using a lot of resources, and they brought incredibly expensive gifts. Or are we easily inconvenienced? Are we selfish with our time? Do we hold on to our treasure? Do we fail to seek and worship the Savior King that we know? Do we know our Old Testaments like they knew? It affected how they acted. Or are we like Herod and we're dedicated to our own autonomy and we will do anything to prevent anyone from messing with our self-rule? You can't tell me what to do. I'm in charge. Are we too proud to bow before this king? So whichever of these characters that you identify with this Christmas season, please, please trust Jesus. He is the Savior. If you've already trusted him by faith as your Savior from sin, keep trusting him for your daily walk with him. Be encouraged to put your faith into action and to share the good news of the gospel with others. If you've not done that, if you've not reacted to Jesus in faith, trusting him alone for salvation, I'd invite you to do that today. Jesus came for this purpose. He said, I am come to seek and to save those who are lost. Every one of us has been lost or are lost. Not that we don't know where we are. <laughs> We're in Drake, if you're wondering. <laughs> but we are lost in our sin. We cannot find our way to God to have a relationship with him without Jesus Christ. We're all great sinners. We need a great savior. His name is Jesus. So Jesus came to earth the first time as a sweet baby. We love babies, right? Everybody loves a baby. He lived as an ordinary man. He gave up his life to be an extraordinary savior. He's coming again. Not as a baby. He's coming again as a king who will rule. And you have to know him. The time of salvation is now, not then. The reaction when he comes again will be universal. All will believe, but not saving faith. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a familiar Christmas hymn that we sing at Christmas time, Joy to the World. It's actually a second coming song, not a first coming song, and we'll sing it in closing. Let's pray. Father, we look forward to the day when Jesus Christ comes back. Send him quickly. We react to you this morning in faith and trust, so grateful that you sent your son because you loved us so much. So grateful that you would choose a path for him that involved him taking your wrath to pay for our sin. 
We thank you for that. We think of Jesus the baby in the manger and we're moved by that because we love babies and we love children. But we know that he had a path in front of him that was difficult and hard. One that we could not walk ourselves. Father, we, we need you and we trust in you. And I just ask for your spirit to be moving in and through us. For those that don't know you yet, that your spirit would be speaking to them and tugging on them to come and trust in Jesus. We look forward to the day when he comes back and there will be joy in this world. We ask it in his name, on his authority.